grieving. Some families will be lost to one another forever. To those of you who face the difficulties of reconnecting with family and establishing ongoing relationships, we say sorry. We offer this apology in the hope that it will assist your healing and in order to shine a light on a dark period of our nation's history. To those who have fought for the truth to be heard, we hear you now. You're listening to Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. I'm one of your hosts, Joe Sparrow. This podcast is a production of Jigsaw Queensland Post-Adoption Support Service. However, the views expressed are those of the people participating, not necessarily Jigsaw Queensland. The podcast discusses adult themes and listener discretion is advised. This morning, we're joined by Andrea Lynch, who is the team leader of Jigsaw Queensland Forced Adoption Support Service. Hi, Andrea. Thank you so much for joining us on Adopt Perspective. Hi, Joe. Andrea, we aren't far from the 27th of November, which is the date in 2012 when then Premier of Queensland, Campbell Newman, made an historic apology in Parliament for, for past forced adoption policies and practices. Every year since, Queensland commemorates the anniversary of this apology with a ceremony next to a memorial park that's located in Roma Street Parklands, which is located at City View Saddle, Roma Street Parklands, 1 Parklands Boulevard in Brisbane, and it's accessible all year round. And just a side note, if you want to learn more about the history of forced adoption in Australia and in Queensland, our third episode on Season 1 published on the 13th of May is a really great starting point. Andrea, as the estate approaches, I wanted to talk to you about two very important Queensland projects, the Forced Adoption Support Service coordinated in recent years, the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital Memorial Plaque and the, digi and the Digital History Project that was filmed in partnership with the State Library of Queensland titled Without Our Consent, A Queensland Story. Let's start by discussing the memorial plaque, which is displayed in the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. Can you tell me about how this came to be? Um, well, in 2009, Joe, the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital led the way by being the first hospital in Australia to apologise for forced adoptions. Mm -hmm. um, so the Royal's um, Executive Director of Women and Newborn Services at that time, Professor Ian Jones, was instrumental in issuing apologies for forced adoption practices on behalf of the hospital. This came about as a result of meetings that Professor Jones had had with two key stakeholder groups, Alas Australia and the Association for Adoptees, which at that time was known as WASH. Um, and at those meetings, the stakeholders made him aware of the ongoing impacts that forced adoption had had on okay. mothers fathers, um, and adopted people in particular and their families. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so... Coming forward to 2017, um, the Forced Adoption Support Service at Jigsaw Queensland decided to initiate a project which we call the Memorial Plaques Project. Um, and we worked in on that project with stakeholder groups such as Alas Australia, Association for Adoptees, Jigsaw Queensland and Origins Queensland. So the project was funded um, using small grant funding from the Australian Department of Social Services um, who also fund the false adoption service. Mm -hmm. um, so the aim of this project was to consult with the stakeholders in order to develop a 
forced adoption memorial plaques in sites of significance to that history throughout Queensland. Right. So we decided the first step was to employ an experienced community arts worker um, to do the consultation process, and that was Dee Martin. Um, she's very experienced in that sort of work. So yeah, she did a great job. Yeah, she did. She yeah, her experience really uh, showed throughout the project. Um, so with working with the stakeholders, um, they identified um, that they wanted sites that had a connection to the history of forced adoption, but also sites where the general public would actually see the plaque and get a better understanding of forced adoption history and impacts. Um, so obviously the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital with that history of having already apologised met both those criteria because there's lots of people go through that hospital every day and would see the plaque, but also it has, um, you know, it has established um, a connection to forced adoption and apologised for their role in that. So um, we approached them and, of course, well, gratefully, they were very willing to work with us on the plaque. Oh, fantastic. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the process of coming up with the design and about that backstory? Yes, well, um, Dee had consulted with the stakeholders individually, but she then held a workshop um, so that they could come up with criteria for what the elements should be in the design and in the content of the text. Because obviously everybody has different ideas about what should be in a design, but yeah, job was to kind of distill the essence of that from what the stakeholders were saying and come up with the actual uh, criteria that they could put in the design brief for the designer. Um, so once she'd done that, um, quotes were sought from design companies based on that brief, which had come from the stakeholder group, and we chose a company called In Cahoots um, because they are a company that's had a lot of experience in working with communities and designing for communities, but particularly around social justice issues. So they had a very strong reputation um, of working in this area. So then In Cahoots took that design brief and they developed draft designs, which they then brought back to our stakeholders. So we had another workshop with the stakeholders where the designers presented the um, options for the design and agreed on the final selection. And um, yeah, so with design, um, they had cleverly used elements of text elements from adoption paperwork, such as consent forms and medical records and things like that. And that created a really strong visual impact for the design. Um, so the design was actually created, <clears throat> excuse me, the design was created to um, make it very visually interesting, to draw people in to want to read the actual text, which yeah. was about the history of forced adoption and the apologies and things like that. So it certainly wasn't your standard plaque. Um, it was a very interesting piece of art, really, that, that conveyed an important message. Yeah, it really is a fantastic design and, and quite eye-catching. I think you all did a fabulous job. And did the lead designer have a bit of a personal experience as well? Yes, he did. Um, and that added a bit of passion to um, his uh, energy for the project and um, his, um, I suppose, deep respect that he had for the stakeholder group as well. Yeah. yeah. So what does the plaque in the ceremony that unveiled it memorialise? Um, well, the plaque's a physical memorial and it's placed right in the foyer of the hospital, so lots of people would see it. 
and therefore it would increase public awareness of forced adoption practices. Um, the plaque honours the courage and the persistence of those who were affected and who campaigned to raise awareness of forced adoption practices that were once prevalent throughout Australia. So it was wonderful to have Professor Jones back to unveil the plaque and um, also Noelle Credland, who had been the Director of Women and Newborn Services Nursing and Midwifery. Um, she also attended um, because she'd also been involved with Professor Jones in meeting with the stakeholders and coming up with the apologies from the hospital. So, um, yeah, it was a wonderful unveiling. Right. Um, Andrea, where there's great trauma, um, there will be many mixed emotions. I was born at the Royal in 1971 and have always found it a really uncomfortable place, um, really uncomfortable to visit the hospital. In fact, because of how I felt about it, I declined it as an option to give birth to my own children and I've only gone there four times since my birth. Um, yeah. twice to visit newborns of my closest friends and I found it a bit distressing. Um, once for the plaque unveiling and one more time with my youngest son to show him that plaque and to explain to him what happened there and put some of those feelings to rest. Why mm -hmm. do you think memorials such as this are so important? Well, I think, Jo, just for the reasons that you've just alluded to, um, the memorial really does act as a public acknowledgement of the pain and suffering that parents and adopted people and their families have experienced and continue to experience due to forced adoption. I think as Jane explained in her podcast about grief and loss, the grief and loss that people affected by adoption experience, we call we can call disenfranchised grief. That is grief mm -hmm. that's not, never been publicly acknowledged or supported. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people, um, mothers and adopted people and fathers too, have not had their grief acknowledged publicly. Um, and so this plaque gives public acknowledgement and, and at the same time it increases public awareness. But that public acknowledgement um, and increasing public awareness can really help people to feel more supported in, in the loss they've experienced. Yeah. So uh, for anyone who wants to see the plaque, I just want to let them know, Joe, that at the moment it's been temporarily taken down because there's renovations happening in the foyer. So um, the hospital will be letting us know when it's up again. And so people, if they're intending to visit, should probably just give us a quick call here at Jigsaw just to make sure that it's back up in place. And the oh, hospital... Excellent. Yep. Thanks for that. And that brings us to the second project that focused on our state's history of forced adoptions, the Without Our Consent, A Queensland Story Digital Memorial. Can you describe this project for us? Yeah, well, Joe, this project really grew out of the Memorials Parts project as well um, that we've just been talking about. So apart from the Royal Brisbane Women's Hospital, um, another site that we identified in the stakeholder consultation was the Queensland State Library um, as a potential site for the plaque, for a plaque, um, because it was a place that's all about recording history and providing public education. Yeah. So sort of a, a site that we thought might um, be a good one to put the plaque in. But when we approached them, they said they didn't really, they weren't in the business of plaques. <laughs> um, yeah. They moved on and they're into digital memorials now, um, which was really a film. Um, so they offered to pay the production costs of the film for us, which were really mm -hmm. quite significant. 
Um, and so it was a great opportunity to get the message about forced adoption out to a very wide audience across Queensland and even further afield. Um, the library suggested to us that an oral history approach with key people being interviewed for a film would be the way to go. Um, and they, of course, because it's the Queensland Library, they wanted it to be a focus on Queensland. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So what we did was we approached um, a mother and a father who had lost a child to adoption um, and also an adopted person. Um, and we wanted people, obviously, who were willing to talk about their personal experience in an interview on film. Um, the film also included interviews with stakeholder groups and a couple of key Queensland politicians who were involved in the Senate inquiry and the Queensland government apologies. Um, so it was an interview format with people um, responding to questions. Um, and that film is now available through the State Library and on YouTube for anyone wanting to know about forced adoption. So if a student or member of the public, you know, types forced adoption into the catalogue at the library or online, um, that will come up as a resource. So um, we've also um, let universities know um, who train social workers, counsellors, psychologists about the film and hope that they'll use it in their course. And we know now that um, Charles, Department of Child Safety have used it for training their workers. So it's been That's well. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So we're really pleased with the outcome, and but particularly very grateful to the people who gave their time up and were willing to participate as interviewees in the film. Really grateful to them. Thanks, Andrea. And we'll put up a link for people to view the film in our podcast notes on the Jigsaw Queensland website. And I really encourage you to go and take a look and to share it with others just to get that word around. It always strikes me when I watch the film, Andrea, that it follows the timeline of forced adoption, um, starting with the personal stories of first a mother and father who lost a child to forced adoption and an adopted person, and then interviewing representatives of organisations who've gone on to advocate for people affected by the policies and practices, and finally, politicians who were involved in inquiries and apologies. Um, was this, and I guess timeline is the best word, of forced adoption deliberate in the format that you decided on? Um, yes, it was really deliberate, Joe, because um, we thought it was really important that personal personal stories went first. Um, this is um, so because if people only wanted to watch a little bit of the film, we thought watching the personal stories should be the one the bit that they got. Um, so, um, and then at least they would understand what the impacts were, and if they didn't want to watch the rest of the film. Um, so we chose people, obviously, who were willing to share their stories in front of a camera and they also knew that those, those, that film was going to be available in the public arena. So it was a big ask for them. Um, and I know, but I know from feedback, for example, from the mother involved, that participating in the film for her was a very healing and empowering thing. Um, this particular mother we approached because um, I suppose her story of coercion um, wasn't as necessarily as obviously forced as some other mothers' stories, um, you know, where mothers are, were almost physically forced to sign that yeah. adopted consent. Yeah. Um, but there was still a lot of coercion involved in her story and it, and forced adoption is not a term that's been in use for very long and even some mothers 
who've been through the experience sometimes just don't describe it using that term. Yeah. Uh, but there's still coercion involved and it is forced adoption. So um, also having a father speak, we thought that was really important um, as he was also deeply affected by the experience of losing a child and um, often the experience of fathers is not represented or, or they're portrayed as being um, not caring about what happened to the child. Or um, So the pod, if people want to hear more about fathers' experiences, I think you've done a podcast with Gary Coles, haven't you, Joe? We have, yes, yep. Yeah, talking about the experience of fathers. So um, It was just done in the lead-up to Father's Day, so it'll be early September if you want to look for it. All right. Um, so in my experience, Joe, the general public and even some professionals find it really hard to understand the impacts of adoption on adopted people, particularly um, when their experience has been in their adoptive family has been really reasonably positive. Um, so having your personal story, Joe, as an adopted person included was really helpful. Andrew, I was honoured to be asked to share some of my personal story of being an adopted person of this era. And this was one of the first times I have verbally shared any of my story um, in a public arena. And I was deeply moved listening to Anne and Alan's personal stories. And I found that hearing stories of other perspectives has been very healing for me. And it's taken me out of a very self-centered gaze to connecting more with the experience of others. And that in itself has been cathartic and developed a strong sense of community for me. And as an adopted person, connection of any kind has at times been very challenging. Why do you think personal stories are important for people to tell and to listen to? Well, as you've just explained very well, Joe, um, the actual telling of one's story and the experience of having it heard by others is can be a really important way to have our own experience validated and acknowledged. Um, and this is part of what happens in counselling, um, but it can also happen through other experiences like this, storytelling and experience, you know, having that experience of actually speaking the experience out aloud and having others hear it. So, you know, with adoption, one's experience is often wound up with secrets and, and a bit associated shame. And so it's even more powerful then to speak about it. And it's a way of counteracting this secrecy and shame. It's a way of dispelling that. So the process of telling our stories, as well as being cathartic, can sometimes as well give us a new perspective um, on our experiences and open up other possibilities as it did for you for connection and feeling differently about what we've gone through. Yeah. And Andrea, without the advocates who worked and continue to work to change adoption policies and practices in Australia, grow awareness of what's happened during this era and seek acknowledgement and redress for them, we wouldn't have made any of the great leaps that we've made here in Queensland. On those their shoulders, we really do stand. Um, Andrea, what were the standout lessons that you took away from their participation in this film? Well, I guess I took away, you know, that we must continue to remember what happened about forced adoptions and be careful not to repeat the mistakes of the past. Um, also, I think that, you know, as you've mentioned, how much progress has been made by the because of these ad advocates and activists and they've worked really hard to gain the inquiries into forced adoptions, the apologies, the national and state apologies, and the changes in legislation around release adoption information. So we really need to be grateful to those 
activists and absolutely and celebrate their work um, and also that we must continue to keep up our work in educating the others about the experience of forced adoption that's an ongoing project yeah Andrew just to finish up can you tell us about the annual Queensland commemoration for the apology for past forced adoption policies and practices that takes place on the 27th of November every year Yes, Joe. as you mentioned before, usually um, that, that event is held in the Roman Street Parklands where the actual memorial is. But because of COVID this year, um, decisions being made that will be an online event. Um, I guess one of the advantages of that is that people from regional areas will be able to join in. And that's, yeah. that's great. So um, if people want to know more about what's being planned, they should actually contact Post Adoption Support Queensland because they're the organisers. Um, they're working with stakeholder groups to develop the event. Um, you can contact them by phoning 07 3170 4600 or you can email them at pask at benevolent.org.au. So it's Post Adoption Support Queensland that you need to contact for the details if you want sure. to join the event. Yeah, so I encourage... And just a Sorry, just to make that really clear with the email address, it's pasq at benevolent.org.au. Correct. Um, yeah. Look, thank you so much for joining us today, Andrea, and for all your hard work behind the scenes, pulling together a variety of events, workshops, projects, and even in the production of this podcast. Your professionalism and sensitivity are always greatly appreciated by us all. Thanks, Joe. Um, but, you know, the work is really a whole team of people, so not just me, but um, thanks. Yeah. And we'll have links to all of these projects on the podcast notes page of the Jigsaw Queensland website. The web address will follow in our close. Which brings me to asking, do you have a story you'd like to share with us? If you'd like to be interviewed for the podcast, jump onto the main podcast page of the Jigsaw Queensland website and complete the prospective guest form there. And please note that Adopt Perspective is listened to by people all over the world. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you're listening on and give us a review. And don't forget to share us um, around so that more people have access to information and support. Thanks for listening to the Adopt Perspective podcast. If you'd like to find out more, go to the podcast page on www.jigsawqueensland.com and you'll find a wealth of information and resources on the website. If you reside in Queensland, you can reach Jigsaw Queensland's Forced Adoption Support Service on toll-free 1800 210313 or you can call Jigsaw on 07 6666. If you live in another state of Australia, you can still call the Forced Adoption Support Service number and your call will be answered by the Forced Adoption Support Service in the state that you're calling from. In every other state, Relationships Australia operates this service. A big thank you to Matt Sparrow for composing and recording our original theme music. Until next time, I'm Joe Sparrow saying farewell from Adopt Perspective, a podcast for anyone affected by adoption. Thank you.